Galatians chapter 5. We conclude our Fruit of the Spirit today, Galatians chapter 5, and I've had a good time going through this. I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. Today we close it out with meekness and temperance, the last two on the list here. Galatians chapter 5, let's start reading in verse number 22. The Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, today we'll conclude here these thoughts on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at meekness and temperance, and then we're going to ask what leads you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for letting us come, and thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. And I pray that you would allow us to receive something this morning from your word. I pray as we conclude this list that we would take time to consider what our lives are showing. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, grow us today. I pray that you'd help me as I present these thoughts, that I would do it clearly and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the result of our relationship with Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is what shows what our relationship with Christ is like. And so we've looked through these first in the list, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. And of these things, I know I've been challenged in some of these. And today we look at the last two, meekness and temperance. Meekness is interesting because it's, a, it's one that I've, I've heard a lot about in my life. It, it, growing up where I grew up at the camp, we did an um, illustrated message for the kids. So what we would do is we'd take a cowboy illustration and a biblical message so the kids could learn something. We do this every morning. And, uh, and for much of my life, I was involved with that, whether it be as a kid uh, there until I was about 12 years old, and then started working and was around the horses and involved in the, the program more on a working side of it. So I, I heard a lot, and when they had a message on meekness uh, in, involved in those illustrated messages, and you take a horse, and I'll explain this, I guess, more in a moment, so maybe I shouldn't get ahead of myself, but we, we come across meekness here, and it means gentleness through humility. Uh, the definition that I always heard growing up in those illustrated messages is strength under control. Gentleness through humility or strength under control. It's mentioned nine times in Scripture, eight other times than here in Galatians chapter 5. Strength under control, and that's where the horse came in. I don't know how much you know about horses, but they're big. And they're powerful, and uh, they have the strength to uh, maul any man they want to. But oftentimes, the horse's strength is under control. We have a, uh, different tools and things that you can use, equipment, the bit uh, or the hack or uh, reins and different things that can control a horse. And so in doing so, that, that horse, although it has great strength, is under control. You think of meekness and you look at the idea of meekness and you think about yourself 
when you use these two definitions, gentleness through humility, we looked at gentleness last week, gentleness through humility, becoming low, being gentle because of my humility, or strength under control, it really means the same thing. Uh, having a humility to not necessarily uh, be as uh, violent, maybe the wrong word, but as violent or as bold or as outgoing as I may want to be, but humbling myself and becoming meek, uh, being under control. You look at Scripture and you look at different areas and where humility shows up. 1 Corinthians 4.21, the Bible says, Shall I come unto you uh, with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? Now this was a, uh, a mentor speaking to a church. This was a preacher speaking to a church. This is an a, a, a authority figure speaking to those who have submitted themselves underneath their authority. And he says, should I come to you with a rod? You understand what that means, right? Should I beat you? Um, you know, this is not literal, of course, but this is the idea. Should I come in force or should I come in love and in the spirit of meekness? Strength under control, gentleness through humility. And he's asking them, which way should I come to you? Do you need to be submitted or do, do I come in a more lowly, humble way? You think about your Christian life and how you walk and how you live and how you talk and how you act. And when you come across people, do you tend to come across as more of a rod person or more of a meek person? Now there is a time, right, for the rod. There is a time for uh, that boldness or that authoritative um, uh, uh, spirit. The Bible says that a parent should not spare the rod. It's important for discipline. Discipline uh, corrects us. Discipline reproves us. Discipline makes us better. But there is also a time for meekness. And the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit includes meekness. Actually, nowhere in the fruit of the Spirit do we see that bold, that authoritative, that angry. As a matter of fact, that actually comes up in the works of the flesh. Wrath and strife, envyings and murderers, revelings and such like. But in the fruit of the Spirit, we see love and we see joy and we see peace and we see patience and we see uh, gentleness and kindness and we see uh, faith and we see meekness. A result of my relationship with Christ should be a meek temperament. Gentleness through humility, a strength under control. Now the Bible does say there is a time for war and a time for peace. So again, I'm not saying there is never a time. As a matter of fact, Christ Himself had, a, had times where He was more um, uh, outgoing than other times, right? He walked into a place of worship and saw business going on and He turned over the tables. That was not very meek. Was it sin? No, it was not. Well, how do I know that? Because Jesus never sinned. So there is a time and a place. But I believe that overall, a Christian's life, one who is in a proper relationship with Christ, should show forth meekness 
uh, as a whole the majority of the time. Strength under control, gentleness through humility. Most of the time when the Bible is talking about meekness, it's actually in, in the passages talking to preachers. Uh, how a pastor should be, how a pastor, a, a leader in the church should, should act and respond and live. And it's one of those things where until I became a pastor, I never thought of it this way, but uh, you know, I, I got told, and, and thankfully not here, uh, but in my first church that I pastored, I had people tell me that's the pastor's job when it came to sharing the gospel. That's the pastor's job. When it came to loving the community, that's the pastor's job. And I began to look through and study the Bible and, and, and through the passages which explain the pastor's responsibilities, those were included in those things. And I began to look through Scripture, and of course the Bible commands all Christians to share the gospel. Of course the Bible commands all Christians to love your neighbor. And obviously there are other things involved. But what I came to the conclusion of is the, the role or the responsibility of the pastor is really as an example to the believers. The pastor should live in a way that the church members can see and learn from and live as well. The Bible doesn't say a pastor should, should abstain from these things, but the rest of Christians, they can go for it. The Bible never says that. As a matter of fact, I believe, and you could argue with me if you'd like to, but I, don't, I think you'd be wrong. I believe that the, 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 uh, the role or the qualifications of a pastor are what we should all strive to live up to. That the responsibilities of a pastor, sure, some of these things may not uh, uh, come into your life very often, but are all things that we should strive to do. Because it is an example given. Christ is the ultimate example, but then He gives responsibilities and roles on this earth to be an example to the believer so that someone can see. We talked about it last week. Faith without works is dead. So what good does it do for a preacher to come up here and talk about it but not live it. The same is true for you. What good does it do you to, to talk about it and not live it? And so here we see, though, throughout the times the pastors are told to be meek, under control, not abusive of power, specifically in meekness, instructing others. Sometimes when we are the uh, authority, um, you remember as a kid, if you ever had the opportunity to be a leader in a class of some kind, uh, where you were given some sort of authority. Uh, maybe your mom had to go to the store, and before she left, she said, older brother, older sister, you're in charge. <laughs> Any kid that is told that, you can see immediately on their face what they're thinking. Oh, yes. I'm in charge. And as soon as that door shuts and mom leaves... The rest of the siblings, first of all, they're typically going, I'm not going to listen to you. Uh, but uh, the older sibling or whoever's placed in charge, typically immediately it goes to their head. I'm in charge. Do this. No. But I'm in charge. No. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But in their head, they're thinking, I get to rule the roost now. I get to tell my brother and sister what to do. In school, when uh, if the teacher had to leave and say, you're in charge. Typically, that person, who may, may be typically a problem causer, all of a sudden enforces rules. Right? Because they're in charge. And it goes to their head. Uh, I have a friend 
who was a roommate of mine in college, and we had a disagreement because I uh, turned him in for something he did. Uh, I had the authority to do so, and uh, turned him in. And he was very upset with me, not because I turned him in, but because I had done the same thing that he did. And I turned him in. Not at the same time, it was a different time, but he knew that I had done it before, and he had done it that time. And yes, it broke the rules when I did it, and yes, it broke the rules when he did it, uh, the difference was is I had the power to get him in trouble, and I did. It was funny about, um, let's see here, that would have been 2005. And then I moved here in 2014, and I lived with his parents. Me and our family lived with his parents for a couple months. And uh, we were talking one day, he came over, and we were talking, and um, he said, uh, I, I actually apologized to him. I said, hey, I need to tell you something. I said, I need to apologize. He said, for what? I said, you remember back in college when I turned you in, and, and he goes, I think about it every day. <laughs> he says, I was very, very upset with you. And I said, I understand that, and, and I would have been too. I said, but for what it's worth, I think about it a lot also. And I'm incredibly sorry. And he said, thank you so much for, for saying that. He said, because honestly, I've been pretty bitter about it since then. But it was that power, authority that I supposedly had that got to my head. And it seems like we get in different places, and maybe it's not official authority, but we feel like we have some authority as Christians by the way the Bible is our authority. Well, we have this authority and sometimes we, we respond the wrong way with the authority that we have. The Bible expects authority to be meek, strength under control, gentleness through humility. And as Christians we go, well, I have the authority to tell you you're wrong. And by the way, you do if they're wrong. But do we use that authority in meekness or do we use it in hatred? We've got some young people in the room today and there's going to come a day where if you've not already experienced it, you'll experience some authority. And I encourage you to try to remember this moment. And don't be that person. <laughs> I didn't go to Pensacola Christian College as some of our other members did, uh, the Jeremiah's and the Cornelisons did. Uh, but I knew a lot of people that went there, and, and there were floor leaders. And on every floor, they had a person in charge. And I always heard the stories of the, the friend <laughs> who all of a sudden became a floor leader. There's no longer a friend anymore. Because now they're writing the merits. And, now they're, and if you don't understand Christian college... Well, I won't take the time to explain it today, but uh, demerits and different things and rules that violations and, and they would get really nitpicky about the, the smallest of things. The reality is, is we're all the same. At least the large majority of us, when authority is given to us for the first time or when we realize that we have the authority, all of a sudden our attitude changes. But the Bible says we are to be meek. 
Christ Himself said He is meek and lowly. Gentleness through humility, controlled strength. Christ, the greatest example, is He not? He stood there as people spit on Him and slapped Him and beat Him and pulled out His beard and shoved a crown of thorns into His head with the authority to smite all of them dead with a simple word or thought. Yet He controlled His authority. And He made Himself humble, low. He was nailed to a cross. And His heavenly Father, wrath became evident and began to appear on the earth. And Jesus looked up and He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. With the authority to wipe the earth clean of them, He was meek. And that's what we are supposed to be. And we don't have that authority, do we? But that's what we are supposed to be. A result of my relationship with Christ should be meekness, gentleness through humility, Being humble is a hard thing for Christians. I believe pride is one of the biggest sins that we deal with within Christianity. So being humble is the opposite of that, of course, and and making ourselves low, understanding that we don't need to be the top of the chain, understanding that we don't need to be the one that's getting the applause, understanding that we're not doing it for our own recognition or our own feelings, but that we're doing it for others, humbling ourselves as Christ humbled Himself. And living in a way that is under control, that is kind, as a result of humility, meekness. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and if we have a proper relationship with Christ, we will show forth meekness. The last one in the list here is temperance, meaning self-control. Four times in Scripture we see this. Would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1? 2 Peter chapter 1. A good passage that I want us to see on temperance. <coughs> Excuse me. Second Peter and chapter 1. I want you to see in verse number 5. Second Peter 1, verse number 5. The Bible says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. We see here uh, in, in 2 Peter things that are basically reminding us that just having this is not enough. And he says there in verse number 5, Add to your faith. Faith is kind of the, uh, the primary, the first, the thing that we've got to have Uh, obviously. So he says, add to your faith virtue, and then add to your virtue and faith knowledge, and then add to your faith virtue and knowledge temperance. And then it goes on. We see here the importance of self-control. We, we talk about all these other fruit of the Spirit, and we come to this point where we're looking at, 
at all these things and what we need in our life, the love and the joy and the peace and the long-suffering and the gentleness and the goodness and the faith and the meekness. Uh, a lot of these things are things within our uh, attitude, things within our actions, love, love one another, joy, a, 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 an outward expression of what should be in our heart, what Christ has done for us. Uh, peace, a spirit of peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness and goodness, kindness, faith. And we talked about last week uh, that a faith in God, but also allowing others to have faith in us. Meekness, a humbleness, but then temperance. It, 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 it concludes this list, self-control. And if you're back in Galatians, we see there, we looked at it earlier, but the works of the flesh. And when we look at the works of the flesh, we see that temperance is needed to combat most of these works of the flesh. It says in Galatians 5 verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. Well, I need temperance to combat adultery. Fornication, I need temperance. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, I need temperance. Idolatry, I think you could argue you need temperance, but not as much maybe as what the other ones are working at, witchcraft. Hatred, I need temperance. Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, I need self-control. Envyings, verse 21, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, Temperance. For if I have temperance, I don't have these things. Self-control. Am I able to control myself against these things? I'm not. I need God's help. I alone cannot. But if I have a proper relationship with God, we understand what that means, right? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. A proper relationship with God. Number one, I have a relationship with God. I'm saved. Jesus Christ is my Savior. It has to start there. That's where the relationship starts. But a proper relationship with God now is not just that I've been saved, that I'm a child of God, but that I am right with God. So I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm uh, refraining from the things that God's told me to refrain from. I'm living a life that is, that is right with God. And if I'm doing that, then my life will show forth love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Which means I cannot do the works of the flesh. There's not room for it. Self-control. An important fruit, an important result of my relationship with God. If my relationship with God is not right, it is going to be incredibly hard for me to have temperance. A lot of times as Christians, we pick and choose when we want to obey God. We take what's convenient and what's easy and what doesn't ask us to sacrifice what doesn't ask us to cut off, what doesn't ask us to get rid of something that I enjoy. And so I will love my neighbor, 
and I will have peace, and I will be patient and kind. I may even be meek to some degree. Temperance. Well, but you don't understand, you know, it's been in my life for a long time, and, and I'm just not ready to give it up yet. It's because you don't have the right relationship with God. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but I just can't give it up. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying I know what you're going through. It's because you don't have the proper relationship with God. How can I get the self-control that I need to combat the works of the flesh, to combat the temptation, to combat the habit, to combat the whatever is in my life that shouldn't be there. And I say the habit, and I think our minds immediately go to substance, but, but it can be emotional. It can be different things. The plan right now in August is to preach through a series on addiction that has nothing to do with substance. Because so often in our life we get addicted to a feeling, we get addicted to a thought, we get addicted to an action. And the Bible says that a proper relationship with God should result in temperance, self-control. And if you don't have self-control in these areas, I guarantee you it comes back to your relationship with God. It's not where it's supposed to be. Because the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the result of my relationship with Christ, a proper relationship with Christ, should result in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, all of them, not some of them. And so we get to this point where we've got most of them, but I'm missing some. And the reason why is because my relationship with God's not right. Typically, not always, typically it's because I refuse to give up something. God, you can have my life. Right? We hear it from missionaries. If you grew up in church, you've heard it from missionaries. God, I'll do anything you want me to do except go to Africa. And then they get called to Africa. And they end up going to Africa. God, I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do except for... And then they tell you then their testimony. And then that's eventually what God called me to. I heard those stories all my life. So what I did was different. I said, God, I'll do anything you want me to. Please don't. Call me to this. Which you see, a lot of times in our Christian life, we do what those missionaries have always told us. God, I'll do anything except for give this up. God, I'll do anything unless it causes me to miss out on this. God, I'll do anything except for we don't have a right relationship with God. Because the fruit, the result of a proper relationship with God is, is all of these things, not just some of these things. And if you're like me, you can usually sit down when you see lists in Scripture of things that we should do or things that we should refrain from. In most cases, you can say, man, I'm good on 99% of these things. You know, I look at these, these works of the flesh and, and, and I, just, I haven't struggled with with many of these things. 
but I can't say I haven't struggled with none of these things. We all have in some way. It might be different things. I don't know. But you see, if I have a right relationship with God, I should show forth self-control, temperance. And that brings us to our conclusion on this series, and I want to ask the question, what leads you? Verse number 18 here in Galatians 5 says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Which is interesting, right? Because in verse number 23, it says, Against such there is no law. These fruit of the Spirit are not under the law, they're under the grace. And so he says, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because that which is resulting out of your life is lawful for all practical purposes. <clears throat> that might be the wrong terminology to use, and it might confuse you, and I apologize if it does. But uh, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not, you're not living under these things that are, that are guided by law. You're now living under things that are guided by God. It's not to say that you are, uh, no longer have to abide by law. But your life is being lived in a way that is, that is free from the law. Free from the, the worry and the, the burden of the law. And it's put on the things of God. The love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. He says in verse number 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh, killed it. It's gone. It's dead. It's buried with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> if you are Christ's, meaning you're saved, this is not a one-time thing of crucifying the flesh. It is a daily slaughtering of the flesh. With the exception of Christ, what is crucified? Criminals. So we talk about crucifying the flesh. The flesh is criminal. And it must be punished. It must be put to death. So every day, I crucify the flesh. You've heard the, the saying, not today, Satan. Every day, I crucify the flesh with the afflictions and lusts. I bury them. And I live in the Spirit. And if I live in the Spirit, I should also walk in the Spirit. He says in verse 26, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Where does the glory go in your life? Does it go to yourself or does it go to God? He says, don't be desirous of vain glory, empty glory, which is glory on yourself or on another human being. And provoke not one another, provoking one another, envying one another. Envying, by the way, is in the list of works of the flesh. 
Idolatry is in the list of works of the flesh. Giving glory to something other than God is idolatry. We don't usually look at it the same way because we're not bowing down and worshiping, but hopefully by now we understand idolatry is far more than bowing down to a statue. It's worshiping or giving glory to something other than God. So what leads you? Is it the vainglory? Is it the flesh? Is it the lifestyle of the rich and famous? Envying one another? Or is it the Spirit? For if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You're not going to have the fruit of the Spirit if you walk in the flesh. And guess what? You won't have the works of the flesh if you're walking in the Spirit. Most of Scripture is so simple. <laughs> and it's amazing to me. I mean, I'm however old I am now, I don't know, 38, 37, somewhere in that range. And just in recent years have I realized just how simple the Scripture is. Do right. Don't do wrong. That's a large majority of Scripture. Is it easy? No, not always. But that's what God tells us many, many times throughout Scripture in different ways. Do right. Bob Jones, the founder of Bob Jones University, had a famous sermon, Do Right. Do right till the stars fall. Do right, do right, do right. Boy, that's a two-minute sermon right there. But it's what the Bible says. Just do right. If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Because those who live in the flesh, the lost, the unsaved, guess what? They, they walk in the flesh. And you are supposed to be different. Why? Because you are different. Because you have the God of the universe living within you. Walk like it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Your relationship with Christ is showing. Whether it's good or bad. The fruit is how we know you, the Bible says. What are you producing? If you're not producing all of the fruit, there's a gap. There's a problem in your relationship with God. I don't know what it is. And if you don't know what it is, but you know you're missing something, just ask God and He'll tell you. But in most cases, we do know what it is. And it's oftentimes a refusal to crucify the flesh. And our argument is, is well, I don't have that temperance. I don't have that self-control. I just can't overcome it. God can. 
if you'll let him. And with God, you can crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. I'm not telling you it'll be easy. Satan knows where to attack. That's why the Bible gives us the instruction to put on the whole armor of God. That's why the Bible tells us to draw close to God. That's why the Bible tells us that if you'll stay with the shepherd, the shepherd will protect you. But we keep on straying off. And then we blame God for not protecting us. If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. If you look in the mirror today and you look for these fruit, the result of your relationship with Christ, what do you see? Do you see all eight of the characteristics listed here? Do you see seven and five, two, zero? It's as simple as just doing what God wants you to do. And I know I say that, and please understand, I get that even though it's simple, it's not easy. But God can help you. God desires to help you. God wants to give you victory. And you can find it today in Christ. So this morning, I simply ask you, if you live in the Spirit, are you walking in the Spirit? And may we produce fruit that shows a proper relationship with Christ. And that won't happen unless we have a proper relationship with Christ. So if you don't have a proper relationship with Christ, I pray that today that will change. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. God, we've taken the month to look at uh, this passage. For many, we've heard this many times over. As a matter of fact, even as a church, we've sung through this. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us make this real to us today. God, impact our lives where it needs to be impacted. Lord, I have no doubts considering that we have a room of humans today. That there are struggles. And there's defeat. Lord, today I pray that victory would be seen. And Lord, whatever it is that you speak to us about today, I pray that we would be willing to answer your call to surrender to you again, if necessary, our lives. And Lord, as we look at ourselves this morning, and God, we ask you to, to investigate our lives as well. Lord, what is missing? I pray that we would see it, ask for forgiveness, and commit to following you. For we live in the Spirit, so we should also walk in the Spirit. The works of the flesh are, are many. They're more natural. They're easier. Lord, today I pray that you'd give us the strength to overcome. And Lord, with your help, we will have that proper relationship with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name with our heads bowed.
five. We conclude our Fruit of the Spirit today, Galatians chapter 5, and I've had a good time going through this. I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. Today we close it out with meekness and temperance, last two on the list here. Galatians chapter 5, let's start reading in verse number 22. The Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, today we'll conclude here these thoughts on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at meekness and temperance, and then we're going to ask what leads you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for letting us come, and thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. And I pray that you would allow us to receive something this morning from your word. I pray as we conclude this list that we would take time to consider what our lives are showing. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, grow us today. I pray that you'd help me as I present these thoughts, that I would do it clearly and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the result of our relationship with Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is what shows what our relationship with Christ is like. And so we've looked through these first in the list, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. And of these things, I know I've been challenged in some of these. And today we look at the last two, meekness and temperance. Meekness is interesting because it's, a, it's one that I've, I've heard a lot about in my life. It, it, growing up where I grew up at the camp, we did an um, illustrated message for the kids. So what we would do is we'd take a cowboy illustration and a biblical message so the kids could learn something. We do this every morning. And, uh, and for much of my life, I was involved with that, whether it be as a kid uh, there until I was about 12 years old, and then started working and was around the horses and involved in the, the program more on a working side of it. So I, I heard a lot, and they had a message on meekness uh, in, involved in those illustrated messages. And you take a horse, and I'll explain this, I guess, more in a moment, so maybe I shouldn't get ahead of myself, but we, we come across meekness here, and it means gentleness through humility. Uh, the definition that I always heard growing up in those illustrated messages is strength under control. Gentleness through humility or strength under control. It's mentioned nine times in Scripture, eight other times than here in Galatians chapter 5. Strength under control, and that's where the horse came in. I don't know how much you know about horses, but they're big. And they're powerful, and uh, they have the strength to uh, maul any man they want to. But oftentimes, the horse's strength is under control. We have a, uh, different tools and things that you can use, equipment, the bit, uh, or the hack, or uh, reins and different things that can control a horse. And so in doing so, that, that horse, although it has great strength, is under control. You think of meekness and you look at the idea of meekness and you think about yourself, 
when you use these two definitions, gentleness through humility, we looked at gentleness last week, gentleness through humility, becoming low, being gentle because of my humility, or strength under control, it really means the same thing. Uh, having a humility to not necessarily uh, be as uh, violent, maybe the wrong word, but as violent or as bold or as outgoing as I may want to be, but humbling myself and becoming meek, uh, being under control. You look at Scripture and you look at different areas and where humility shows up. 1 Corinthians 4.21, the Bible says, Shall I come unto you uh, with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? Now this was a, uh, a mentor speaking to a church. This was a preacher speaking to a church. This is an a, a, a authority figure speaking to those who have submitted themselves underneath their authority. And he says, should I come to you with a rod? You understand what that means, right? Should I beat you? Um, you know, this is not literal, of course, but this is the idea. Should I come in force or should I come in love and in the spirit of meekness? Strength under control, gentleness through humility. And he's asking them, which way should I come to you? Do you need to be submitted or do, do I come in a more lowly, humble way. You think about your Christian life and how you walk and how you live and how you talk and how you act. And when you come across people, do you tend to come across as more of a rod person or more of a meek person? Now there is a time, right, for the rod. There is a time for uh, that boldness or that authoritative um, uh, uh, spirit. The Bible says that a parent should not spare the rod. It's important for discipline. Discipline uh, corrects us. Discipline reproves us. Discipline makes us better. But there is also a time for meekness. And the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit includes meekness. Actually, nowhere in the fruit of the Spirit do we see that bold, that authoritative, that angry. As a matter of fact, that actually comes up in the Works of the flesh, wrath and strife, envyings and murderers, revelings and such like. But in the fruit of the Spirit, we see love and we see joy and we see peace and we see patience and we see uh, gentleness and kindness and we see uh, faith and we see meekness. A result of my relationship with Christ should be a meek temperament. Gentleness through humility, a strength under control. Now the Bible does say there is a time for war and a time for peace. So again, I'm not saying there is never a time. As a matter of fact, Christ Himself had, a, had times where He was more um, uh, outgoing than other times, right? He walked into a place of worship and saw business going on and He turned over the tables. That was not very meek. Was it sin? No, it was not. Well, how do I know that? Because Jesus never sinned. So there is a time and a place. But I believe that overall, a Christian's life, one who is in a proper relationship with Christ, should show forth meekness 
uh, as a whole the majority of the time. Strength under control, gentleness through humility. Most of the time when the Bible is talking about meekness, it's actually in, in the passages talking to preachers. Uh, how a pastor should be, how a pastor, a, a leader in the church should, should act and respond and live. And it's one of those things where until I became a pastor, I never thought of it this way, but uh, you know, I, I got told, and, and thankfully not here, uh, but in my first church that I pastored, I had people tell me that's the pastor's job when it came to sharing the gospel. That's the pastor's job. When it came to loving the community, that's the pastor's job. And I began to look through and study the Bible and, and, and through the passages which explain the pastor's responsibilities. Those were included in those things. And I began to look through Scripture and of course the Bible commands all Christians to share the gospel. Of course the Bible commands all Christians to love your neighbor. And obviously there are other things involved. But what I came to the conclusion of is the the role or the responsibility of the pastor is really as an example to the believers. The pastor should live in a way that the church members can see and learn from and live as well. The Bible doesn't say a pastor should, should abstain from these things, but the rest of Christians, they can go for it. The Bible never says that. As a matter of fact, I believe, and you could argue with me if you'd like to, but I, don't, I think you'd be wrong, I believe that the, 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 uh, the role or the qualifications of a pastor are what we should all strive to live up to. That the responsibilities of a pastor, sure some of these things may not uh, uh, come into your life very often, but are all things that we should strive to do. Because it is an example given. Christ is the ultimate example, but then He gives responsibilities and roles on this earth to be an example to the believer so that someone can see. We talked about it last week. Faith without works is dead. So what good does it do for a preacher to come up here and talk about it, but not live it? The same is true for you. What good does it do you to, to talk about it and not live it? And so here we see, though, throughout the times the pastors are told to be meek, under control, not abusive of power, specifically in meekness, instructing others. Sometimes when we are the uh, authority, um, you remember as a kid, if you ever had the opportunity to be a leader in a class of some kind, uh, where you were given some sort of authority, uh, maybe your mom had to go to the store, and before she left, she said, older brother, older sister, you're in charge. <laughs> Any kid that is told that, you can see immediately on their face what they're thinking. Oh, yes, I'm in charge. And as soon as that door shuts and mom leaves, the rest of the siblings, first of all, they're typically going, I'm not going to listen to you. Uh, but uh, the older sibling or whoever's placed in charge, typically immediately it goes to their head. I'm in charge. Do this. No. But I'm in charge. No. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But in their head, they're thinking, I get to rule the roost now. I get to tell my brother and sister what to do. In school, when, uh, if the teacher had to leave and say, you're in charge, typically that person, who may, may be typically a problem causer, all of a sudden enforces rules. Right? Because they're in charge. And it goes to their head. Uh, I have a friend 
who was a roommate of mine in college, and we had a disagreement because I uh, turned him in for something he did. Uh, I had the authority to do so, and uh, turned him in. And he was very upset with me, not because I turned him in, but because I had done the same thing that he did. And I turned him in. Not at the same time, it was a different time, but he knew that I had done it before, and he had done it that time. And yes, it broke the rules when I did it, and yes, it broke the rules when he did it, uh, the difference was is I had the power to get him in trouble, and I did. It was funny about, um, let's see here, that would have been 2005. And then I moved here in 2014, and I lived with his parents. Me and our family lived with his parents for a couple months. And uh, we were talking one day, he came over, and we were talking, and um, he said, uh, I, I actually apologized to him. I said, hey, I need to tell you something. I said, I need to apologize. He said, for what? I said, you remember back in college when I turned you in? And, and he goes, I think about it every day. <laughs> he says, I was very, very upset with you. And I said, I understand that. And, and I would have been too. I said, but for what it's worth, I think about it a lot also. And I'm incredibly sorry. And he said, thank you so much for, for saying that. He said, because honestly, I've been pretty bitter about it since then. But it was that power, authority that I supposedly had that got to my head. And it seems like we get in different places, and maybe it's not official authority, but we feel like we have some authority as Christians by the way the Bible is our authority. But we have this authority and sometimes we, we respond the wrong way with the authority that we have. The Bible expects authority to be meek, strength under control, gentleness through humility. And as Christians we go, well, I have the authority to tell you you're wrong. And by the way, you do if they're wrong. But do we use that authority in meekness or do we use it in hatred? We've got some young people in the room today and there's going to come a day where if you've not already experienced it, you'll experience some authority. And I encourage you to try to remember this moment. And don't be that person. <laughs> I didn't go to Pensacola Christian College as some of our other members did, uh, the Jeremiah's and the Cornelisons did. Uh, <laughs> but I knew a lot of people that went there, and, and there were floor leaders. And on every floor, they had a person in charge. And I always heard the stories of the, the friend <laughs> who all of a sudden became a floor leader. There's no longer a friend anymore. Because now they're writing demerits. And, now they're, and if you don't understand Christian College... Well, I won't take the time to explain it today, but uh, demerits and different things and rules that violations and, and they would get really nitpicky about the uh, smallest of things. The reality is, is we're all the same. At least the large majority of us, when authority is given to us for the first time or when we realize that we have the authority, all of a sudden our attitude changes. But the Bible says we are to be meek. 
Christ Himself said He is meek and lowly. Gentleness through humility, controlled strength. Christ, the greatest example, is He not? He stood there as people spit on Him and slapped Him and beat Him and pulled out His beard and shoved a crown of thorns into His head with the authority to smite all of them dead with a simple word or thought. Yet He controlled His authority. And He made Himself humble, low. He was nailed to a cross. And His heavenly Father, wrath became evident and began to appear on the earth. And Jesus looked up and He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. With the authority to wipe the earth clean of them, He was meek. And that's what we are supposed to be. And we don't have that authority, do we? But that's what we are supposed to be. A result of my relationship with Christ should be meekness. Gentleness through humility. Being humble is a hard thing for Christians. I believe pride is one of the biggest sins that we deal with within Christianity. So being humble is the opposite of that, of course. And and making ourselves low, understanding that we don't need to be the top of the chain, understanding that we don't need to be the one that's getting the applause, understanding that we're not doing it for our own recognition or our own feelings, but that we're doing it for others, humbling ourselves as Christ humbled Himself, and living in a way that is under control, that is kind, as a result of humility, meekness. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and if we have a proper relationship with Christ, we will show forth meekness. The last one in the list here is temperance, meaning self-control. Four times in Scripture we see this. Would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1? 2 Peter chapter 1, a good passage that I want us to see on temperance. <coughs> Excuse me. 2 Peter and chapter 1. I want you to see in verse number 5, 2 Peter 1, verse number 5, the Bible says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. We see here uh, in, in 2 Peter Things that are basically reminding us that just having this is not enough. And he says there in verse number 5, add to your faith. Faith is kind of the, uh, the primary, the first, the thing that we've got to have, uh, obviously. So he says, add to your faith virtue, and then add to your virtue and faith knowledge, and then add to your faith virtue and knowledge temperance. And then it goes on. We see here the importance of self-control. We, we talk about all these other fruit of the Spirit, and we come to this point where we're looking at, 
at all these things and what we need in our life, the love and the joy and the peace and the long-suffering and the gentleness and the goodness and the faith and the meekness. Uh, a lot of these things are things within our uh, attitude, things within our actions, love, love one another. Joy, a, 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 an outward expression of what should be in our heart, what Christ has done for us. Uh, peace, a spirit of peace. Long-suffering, patience, gentleness and goodness, kindness, faith. And we talked about last week uh, that a faith in God, but also allowing others to have faith in us. Meekness, a humbleness, but then temperance. It, 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 it concludes this list, self-control. And if you're back in Galatians, we see there, we looked at it earlier, but the works of the flesh. And when we look at the works of the flesh, we see that temperance is needed to combat most of these works of the flesh. It says in Galatians 5 verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, well, I need temperance to combat adultery. Fornication, I need temperance. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, I need temperance. Idolatry, I think you could argue you need temperance, but not as much maybe as what the other ones are working at, witchcraft. Hatred, I need temperance. Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, I need self-control. Envyings, verse 21, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, temperance. For if I have temperance, I don't have these things. Self-control. Am I able to control myself against these things? I'm not. I need God's help. I alone cannot. But if I have a proper relationship with God, we understand what that means, right? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. A proper relationship with God. Number one, I have a relationship with God. I'm saved. Jesus Christ is my Savior. It has to start there. That's where the relationship starts. But a proper relationship with God now is not just that I've been saved, that I'm a child of God, but that I am right with God. So I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm uh, refraining from the things that God's told me to refrain from. I'm living a life that is, that is right with God. And if I'm doing that, then my life will show forth love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Which means I cannot do the works of the flesh. There's not room for it. Self-control. An important fruit, an important result of my relationship with God. If my relationship with God is not right, it is going to be incredibly hard for me to have temperance. A lot of times as Christians, we pick and choose when we want to obey God. We take what's convenient and what's easy and what doesn't ask us to sacrifice what doesn't ask us to cut off, what doesn't ask us to get rid of something that I enjoy. And so I will love my neighbor, 
and I will have peace, and I will be patient and kind. I may even be meek to some degree. Temperance. Well, but you don't understand, you know, it's been in my life for a long time, and and I'm just not ready to give it up yet. It's because you don't have the right relationship with God. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but I just can't give it up. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying I know what you're going through. It's because you don't have the proper relationship with God. How can I get the self-control that I need to combat the works of the flesh, to combat the temptation, to combat the habit, to combat the whatever is in my life that shouldn't be there? And I say the habit, and I think our minds immediately go to substance, but, but it can be emotional. It can be different things. The plan right now in August is to preach through a series on addiction that has nothing to do with substance. Because so often in our life we get addicted to a feeling, we get addicted to a thought, we get addicted to an action. And the Bible says that a proper relationship with God should result in temperance, self-control. And if you don't have self-control in these areas, I guarantee you it comes back to your relationship with God. It's not where it's supposed to be. Because the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the result of my relationship with Christ, a proper relationship with Christ, should result in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, all of them, not some of them. And so we get to this point where we've got most of them, but I'm missing some. And the reason why is because my relationship with God's not right. Typically, not always, typically it's because I refuse to give up something. God, you can have my life. Right? We hear it from missionaries. If you grew up in church, you've heard it from missionaries. God, I'll do anything you want me to do except go to Africa. And then they get called to Africa. And they end up going to Africa. God, I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do except for... And then they tell you then their testimony, and then that's eventually what God called me to. I heard those stories all my life, so what I did was different. I said, God, I'll do anything you want me to. Please don't <laughs> call me to this. But you see, a lot of times in our Christian life, we do what those... Missionaries have always told us, God, I'll do anything except for give this up. God, I'll do anything unless it causes me to miss out on this. God, I'll do anything except for we don't have a right relationship with God. Because the fruit, the result of a proper relationship with God is, is all of these things, not just some of these things. And if you're like me, you can usually sit down when you see lists in Scripture of things that we should do or things that we should refrain from. In most cases, you can say, man, I'm good on 99% of these things. You know, I look at these, these works of the flesh and, and, and I, just, I haven't struggled with, with many of these things. 
but I can't say I haven't struggled with none of these things. We all have in some way. It might be different things. I don't know. But you see, if I have a right relationship with God, I should show forth self-control, temperance. And that brings us to our conclusion on this series. And I want to ask the question, what leads you? Verse number 18 here in Galatians 5 says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Which is interesting, right? Because in verse number 23, it says, Against such there is no law. These fruit of the Spirit are not under the law, they're under the grace. And so he says, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because that which is resulting out of your life is lawful for all practical purposes. <clears throat> that might be the wrong terminology to use, and it might confuse you, and I apologize if it does. But uh, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not, you're not living under these things that are, that are guided by law. You're now living under things that are guided by God. It's not to say that you are, uh, no longer have to abide by law. But your life is being lived in a way that is, that is free from the law. Free from the, the worry and the, the burden of the law. And it's put on the things of God, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. He says in verse number 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh, killed it, it's gone, it's dead, it's buried, with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> if you are Christ's, meaning you're saved, this is not a one-time thing of crucifying the flesh. It is a daily slaughtering of the flesh. With the exception of Christ, what is crucified? Criminals. So we talk about crucifying the flesh. The flesh is criminal. And it must be punished. It must be put to death. So every day, I crucify the flesh. You've heard the, the saying, not today, Satan. Every day, I crucify the flesh with the afflictions and lusts. I bury them. And I live in the Spirit. And if I live in the Spirit, I should also walk in the Spirit. He says in verse 26, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Where does the glory go in your life? Does it go to yourself or does it go to God? He says, don't be desirous of vain glory, empty glory, which is glory on yourself or on another human being. And provoke not one another, provoking one another, envying one another. Envying, by the way, is in the list of works of the flesh. 
Idolatry is in the list of works of the flesh. Giving glory to something other than God is idolatry. We don't usually look at it the same way because we're not bowing down and worshiping, but hopefully by now we understand idolatry is far more than bowing down to a statue. It's worshiping or giving glory to something other than God. So what leads you? Is it the vainglory? Is it the flesh? Is it the lifestyle of the rich and famous? Envying one another? Or is it the Spirit? For if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You're not going to have the fruit of the Spirit if you walk in the flesh. And guess what? You won't have the works of the flesh if you're walking in the Spirit. Most of Scripture is so simple. <laughs> and it's amazing to me. I mean, I'm however old I am now, I don't know, 38, 37, somewhere in that range. And just in recent years have I realized just how simple the Scripture is. Do right. Don't do wrong. That's a large majority of Scripture. Is it easy? No, not always. But that's what God tells us many, many times throughout Scripture in different ways. Do right. Bob Jones, the founder of Bob Jones University, had a famous sermon, Do Right. Do right till the stars fall. Do right, do right, do right. Boy, that's a two-minute sermon right there. But it's what the Bible says. It's too right. If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Because those who live in the flesh, the lost, the unsaved, guess what? They, they walk in the flesh. And you are supposed to be different. Why? Because you are different. Because you have the God of the universe living within you. Walk like it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Your relationship with Christ is showing. Whether it's good or bad. The fruit is how we know you, the Bible says. What are you producing? If you're not producing all of the fruit, there's a gap, there's a problem in your relationship with God. I don't know what it is. And if you don't know what it is, but you know you're missing something, just ask God and He'll tell you. But in most cases, we do know what it is. And it's oftentimes a refusal to crucify the flesh. And our argument is, is well, I don't have that temperance. I don't have that self-control. I just can't overcome it. God can. 
if you'll let him. And with God, you can crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. I'm not telling you it'll be easy. Satan knows where to attack. That's why the Bible gives us the instruction to put on the whole armor of God. That's why the Bible tells us to draw close to God. That's why the Bible tells us that if you'll stay with the shepherd, the shepherd will protect you. But we keep on straying off. And then we blame God for not protecting us. If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. If you look in the mirror today and you look for these fruit, the result of your relationship with Christ, what do you see? Do you see all eight of the characteristics listed here? Do you see seven? And five? Two? Zero. It's as simple as just doing what God wants you to do. And I know I say that, and please understand, I get that even though it's simple, it's not easy. But God can help you. God desires to help you. God wants to give you victory. And you can find it today in Christ. So this morning, I simply ask you, if you live in the Spirit, are you walking in the Spirit? And may we produce fruit that shows a proper relationship with Christ. And that won't happen unless we have a proper relationship with Christ. So if you don't have a proper relationship with Christ, I pray that today that will change. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. God, we've taken the month to look at uh, this passage. For many, we've heard this many times over. As a matter of fact, even as a church, we've sung through this. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us make this real to us today. God, impact our lives where it needs to be impacted. Lord, I have no doubts considering that we have a room of humans today that there are struggles, and there's defeat. Lord, today I pray that victory would be seen. And Lord, whatever it is that you speak to us about today, I pray that we would be willing to answer your call, to surrender to you again, if necessary, our lives. And Lord, as we look at ourselves this morning, and God, we ask you to to investigate our lives as well. Lord, what is missing? I pray that we would see it, ask for forgiveness, and commit to following you. For we live in the Spirit, so we should also walk in the Spirit. The works of the flesh are, are many. They're more natural. They're easier. Lord, today I pray that you'd give us the strength to overcome. And Lord, with your help, we will have that proper relationship with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name with our heads bowed.